What's up, everyone? This is Courtney, the producer of Passing Through the Podcast. And on next week's season three finale, Nick and I will once again be answering any and every question you have. But this time, we want to hear your voice. If you follow the link included in the show notes or click the bio link for at Passing Through Pod on Instagram, you can submit an audio or video question that could be featured on the season finale next week. If there's anything you're curious about, been dying to know about the podcast or a particular episode, or just want to know what Nick has been reading these days, don't be shy. Go ahead and submit a question. As always, thank you so much for listening. And here's episode six. In the sixth and final episode of season three, Glenn tells a tale of two souls in one city and how a roundaway boy made her check her privilege. I hope you all enjoy passing through Brooklyn by a brilliant being full of power and prose, Glenn. In high school, I thrived on catcalls. Fuck what the feminists say, okay? Exactly, listen, listen, listen. Listen, I might have been feeling my look one day, but I had to hear a guy confirm it. Back then, I used to be feeling like, I used to listen to Lloyd and B2K and shit. So I used to be like, thinking about what dudes would say in Atlanta, and I imagine they'd be like, hey, yo, shawty. And like, to me, that would have made my knees weak. But since I grew up in Brooklyn, I got, yo, ma. I got, hey, miss. And that worked just fine. Back then, my M.O. was to get hollered at, get bagged, get chose. And I just wanted to get wiped up by an around-the-way guy whole time. I grew up in a sheltered part of Bed-Stuy called Stuyvesant Heights. Alongside stately brownstones stood Victorian mansions, like the 18-room one I was raised in. And I needed a guy like that. I needed a guy from around the way. I thought that, that by being with one, I'd be more Brooklyn down by association. These were the depictions of blackness of Brooklyn that I had seen everywhere. And if I, me, my body didn't fit into that, then what kind of Brooklyn girl was I? There was no place for me. You know what I mean? So I needed a guy like that. I idolized those men. I loved the way they flowed through the hood so effortlessly. I liked the way they said what up to the guys in front of the bodega when they passed it. I like the way they went to the zone school instead of going to the Upper West Side to high school the way I did, you know? (laughs) And I knew that if anyone ever tried to fuck with me, they'd protect me, and I vowed to hold them down too. All I ever wanted to be was a ride or die chick. Ultimately, when I finally pulled the guy who would fulfill my hood fantasies, it wasn't a guy. I fucking love y'all. It wasn't a guy who I met on the block who bagged me. It was all thanks to a setup. My homegirl, Maya, knew I was the greatest wingwoman, so she'd always call me with double date propositions. And this time, her call had come on a Friday. She called me up. Hey, girl, you want to go to Court Street Theater with this, these guys I just met? My Brooklyn girls know about Court Street. Y'all fucking know, OK? Where, where else are you going on a Friday night with some cute guy you just met at King's Plaza? Okay! <laughs> so she called me and I show up. 
I show up to Court Street. And what else do you see at Court Street besides like a scary movie or like a Tyler Perry movie? Anything that you can like yell out and be like expressive with, right? With your man. So I push through the, the, the lobby of King's Plaza and this guy says, what up girl? And he hugs me like he been knew me. It's Marcus, it's this guy, my, my, my friend's guy's friend that she said she knew I would like. And I did, like immediately we connected. Something about him. No, like I'm not even, even all that. But it was something about him like to this day, to this day. <laughs> Goodness. No, no, no. To this day, I think about him, and I'm like, <laughs> he was so fucking cool. Like something about him was so fucking real. And you know what really got me was that he bought my ticket. <laughs> he bought my ticket when I went into that movie theater, and I felt like a woman. <laughs> I felt like a woman. He bought my ticket. And I don't even remember what we saw. I don't even know what we saw, but I know that his lips, his tongue, his teeth were on my neck. And it, in retrospect, it smelled like a vanilla Dutch. And at the time, I wasn't smoking weed, but like later on when I started smoking weed, I was like, oh, okay, I peeped game. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I was just distracted, let's say that. And when we left the theater, he made the entire walk back to the train with his legs like this spread out. Why? Because his jeans was hanging down so low, his crotch was pressed against my ass, and his, his arms were wrapped against my waist, and we just walked. We went over to J Street Borough Hall, and he pressed me against the cool wall tiles, and he pulled me into his puffy North Face jacket for a good... <laughs> Y'all are giving me life, and I can't take it. Thank you. Um, he pulled me in for a goodbye kiss, and I felt tiny. And I remember looking up at him, and he was low-key funny looking, like he wasn't even that cute. That's what was crazy. Like, his braids were kind of frizzy, his teeth were gapped, his eyes were beady, but his smile, his smile was still beautiful, and his skin was brown and smooth, and he made me feel safe. When I got home that night, my mom asked me why I had a purple bruise on my neck, and I told her it was nothing. I was secretly beaming with pride. Marcus and I were officially talking, okay? It was our teenage version of dating, but less formal, less committed, less like shit adults do. I come to learn that niggas I fuck with later in life wouldn't be too keen on titles of commitment either, but that's another story. Okay. Marcus would do cute shit like call me in the morning and say, hey girl, how you doing? Good morning. And I would, I would, I would hold back from answering back too quick, even though I did a little happy dance every time I saw his name pop up on the screen of my sidekick three. <laughs> Even though I started to fantasize what his name would look like on a gold chain embossed around my neck, I knew it was really real though when he called me late night to hear me whisper in the phone in a tone low enough that my parents couldn't hear me from their bedroom across the hall. 
It was during those talks that we were our most honest. We asked ourselves, asked each other what we wanted to be when we grew up, and shit, we were 14, so neither one of us knew what we really wanted to be, but he told me that, like, if anything, he wanted to be able to buy his mom and his brothers some shit that they wanted to have and maybe move them all into a house one day. I just want to make it out and be good, you know? Have my shit straight, he said. And I'm over here like, yes, I totally know what you mean. <laughs> Even though I have no fucking clue because that's not my life. I just got off on it. Marcus and I talked for like a good two months more after that you know, how these puppy love affairs go, these things don't last too long. You think you're in love with someone for like a month and then it's just over, like you met somebody else. But we still kept in touch. We text each other from time to time, a casual here and there, how you doing? How's school? Around junior year, I was smoking a lot of weed and I was trying to get it for free all the time. So I'm like going through my phone, like who can I text? Oh shit, Marcus. Hey, you trying to smoke? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. It'd be really good to see you. I'm like, word, where do, where do I go? He's like, <laughs> he's like, take the three to Van Sicklin. My Brooklyn people are in the fucking crowd. So I'm like, all right, I'm coming through. So I text Maya, the one who hooked, up, hooked us up to begin with. And I'm like, yo, you will never believe who I'm about to meet up with after school fucking Marcus. He told me to come to Van Sicklin. And she's like, ooh, girl. You better have him meet you at the train station because it's kind of sketchy over there. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, uh, I thought I was cute. I thought I was fun. And uh, so I tell him to meet me or whatever. So I push through the turnstile, three train, Van Sicklin. He gives me a bear hug, and I can't help but remember this, how much it reminds me of when we met at Court Street, right? He meets me. He makes me feel safe yet again. He's like, what up, girl? And we're walking. I noticed this field out uh, to our right-hand side, and, I, and it makes me think about what our friend Maya had said, and I'm like, yo, you know, Maya told me I should be careful when I come around here that it's like a little sketchy. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They be dumping mad bodies in this field. I'm like, bodies? <laughs> they dump whole-ass bodies in the field. And he's like, yeah, and niggas stay shooting up my building. I'm like, shooting up, okay. He's like, but you... <laughs> Shooting up. He's like, but he's like, but you and me, you good. And I lean in because again, I like that safety. I like that confidence. I want to feel like somebody knows, like somebody's got it. I spent so much of my life feeling like I didn't know what I where I was going, where I was supposed to be, where I belonged. And this person right here feels like they got this, they know this. It's it's a part of their fabric, it's a part of their being, right? So now I feel safe. So we're walking. And by this time, the lights start flickering on in the area. We're approaching sort of this, like, kind of courtyard of his building. He lives in Van Sicklin. And this woman walks into our path, and she's got on, like, a stretchy silver cat suit. Okay, and here's the thing, right? So she's the cat suit, she's, like, a little jittery. She has her, her hair is slicked back. I'm seeing patches of scalp. Now, I'm sure y'all making your own assumptions right now about what's going on. So around my way in Bed-Stuy, um, I don't know who knows this, who lives in Bed-Stuy, but there's a Chinese food spot called Sue's. Y'all know? My goodness. So there's this woman that used to come into Sue's, and, and she kind of looked a lot like that. And I remember one time I was in there, I was waiting to order. The line was mad long. If you know, Sue's is always packed. 
And she looks at me and she's like, you remind me of me when I was your age. You a pretty girl. And like, this woman, no denying that she had had her pretty days in life for sure, but she looked like she had seen a lot of shit. I remember at the time, the fact that she had equated me to her made me feel like maybe I was down too. Like she had been a pretty girl, but she had seen a lot of shit along the way. And all I ever wanted was to see some real shit. So the fact that she had gone through some shit made me feel like she had seen real shit. And that maybe I could see real shit sometime in my life too. I don't know. But when I saw that woman, (laughs) damn, y'all, I was trying to be deep. And y'all like, y'all like, you girl, you trying it. <laughs> no, but that ass when I saw that woman, it made me think of that woman that I had seen in Sue's that time and thinking about these women who had one time been the shit and the way things happen in women's lives that kind of take them on other other types of paths. And like you can always look at a woman and she holds that presence, that kind of energy of a woman that could hold a room, but you know some stuff has happened in her life. But anyway, I said that say this woman, she had that energy and she comes into our path and She's talking to Marcus, and she's like, what up, Marcus? And he's like, oh, hey. And the woman looks, she looks off. It's off. It's off, okay? And uh, we start walking. We're walking away because he's like, what up? Okay, bye. And then she calls out as our backs are turned, and she's like, she pretty. He's like, I know. And then we're still walking. And then, like, a few moments later, he's like, that was my mom. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then we go up in the elevator of his building, and I'm I'm dead silent. I'm looking at these at the the walls of the elevator. Are they're all scrawled like people have been tagging the the walls up, and all of them are like money centered. There's like J Cash, the S is a dollar sign, or like G G Money or J Dollars, and the the dollars are like dollar signs. And I remember, like, the summer before that, I had been taking the L train a lot, and I used to tag my name. I'm Glenn Pogue, but I used to tag Glenn Vogue, because high school, with, like, <laughs> any kind of dollar sign or anything I could make it feel fantastical, because it felt so good to put my name on something, to, like, claim a space to say that something was mine. And I felt that when I saw those names in that elevator. And we got upstairs to Marcus's apartment, and I'm in his... In his, in his apartment, in his living room, and there's no furniture. And I think about this to this day, like, as a writer, you, you, you do a lot of things for the story, and there's things that you can't imagine will be the way that you would write them. And sometimes it's shit that's like stranger than fiction, and I'm literally walking in this man's house, and there's no furniture. These are the stories that I thought that I wanted to experience. These are the things that I thought that I wanted to see when I was this young girl in bed on the block looking for some dude to give me street cred, and then I literally walk into someone's home and there's no furniture at all. Everything is washed in the yellow of age. It's linoleum, the lights are bright. In the kitchen, there's just an open stove and a milk crate, dead ass. And I'm like, oh shit, and he looks at me and he's like, you ain't never seen no shit like this before, have you? And I'm like, how do you know? And there's nothing about, like, I can't, it's all there. Like, my good girl demeanor is giving it all away. Like, I can't hide it anymore. So I try to change the subject, and I'm like, yo, where the butt at? Where, where, where we smoking? What's up? He's like, come to my room. It's in here. So we go in his room. And I'll never forget, I'm always so struck by this image that his room felt the most homey. Like, 
Like, he put the extra work in to make it feel like a space that you want to come back to. Like, the sheets were tucked. They're sneaker boxes piled high to the ceiling and posters. And it just felt like a place that somebody took time to build to make it feel like it was theirs. Like, he put the work in to make it feel like it was his. And I was sitting at the foot of his bed, and he put the Dutch in my hand, a vanilla Dutch. Again, I was like, oh, connecting the dots. And uh, I'm rolling up. And for the first time in a long time, I don't feel like somebody is about to, like, try to try some shit. Like, I feel safe in his presence, you know? And he's like, how you doing? And I'm like, you know, I've been good. My parents are trying to make me go to this, like, European study abroad shit. It's corny as fuck. I'm not really trying to do it, but I guess it'll be fine, you know? And I'm, I'm embarrassed right now. I'm looking down embarrassed, and he's like, That'll definitely be dope. Like, I'm so proud of you. You're always doing amazing things. I'm like, yeah, I guess. But what you been up to? And he inhales, and he's like, you know, same shit, different day. And after that, we're smoking in silence, and the energy still feels really warm, but I can still feel that we're just not on the same page. Like, we're just of different worlds, and it just kind of is what it is. And at the time, I was going to the school with these white kids on the Upper West Side, and one of my friends, owned, her parents owned a liquor store, so she used to steal mad bottles. So we were supposed to drink some Moet at our friend's house. She had a, a loft in Williamsburg. So I'm like, um, I'm high. So I'm like, this has been great. I got to go now. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, word, OK, I'll walk you back to the train. I'm like, thank God, because shit was looking crazy. And he, he, on the elevator ride back down, he's like, it was really good to see you. We should do this again. And I'm like, word, we should, even though I know deep down inside that we probably never will because everything in that moment showed us that we were not something about it. We were just not there. And I wouldn't think about it until many years later that I had really fetishized him in a, in a real way. We were both black. We were both from Brooklyn. Just the fact that we grew up on other sides of our borough, on other sides of Malcolm X at Boulevard, like that our lifestyles were different, but we both had dreams and there was no reason why we shouldn't have had the same opportunities to achieve them. But I had put ideas on his existence the same way people put ideas on mine, the same ways I felt that I had to follow his lifestyle to make myself feel more real or more worthy or more authentic. Um, I've just been thinking about this a lot lately as a writer, like we just follow the stories and um, we, miss a, we miss out on a lot of the things that are real along the way. And I wish a lot of times that I just would have took him for who he was as a, as a person, like we were both people. And sometimes I think about him when I'm passing high schools and I see young lovers locked in embraces I think about those things he told me that time, and I wonder if he still lives around the way or if he made it out. Thank you. Y'all, thank you so much for listening to the final episode, the sixth episode of Passing Through Season 3. You can find more from Glenn at 
Bedsty Brat. That's B E D S T U Y B R A T. And on her website, glennpogue.com. That's G L Y N N P O G U E.com. As always, every single like, comment, review, and share means the world for this podcast. Season three is a wrap, y'all. It wouldn't have been possible without the six incredible women who shared their stories live on a warm Thursday in April. Thank you, ladies, for making a dream of mine come true. We can't wait to share what we've been cooking up for season four. Thank you guys again for listening.